terrorism, weapons of mass destruction, we live in a time of many perils. We were told that the advent of the cyber age would bring wonderful new opportunities for learning, connecting, creating. What we weren't told was that there would be new vulnerabilities and threats and that they would be as perilous as those posed by terrorism and weapons of mass destruction. Today we are joined by Dr. Samantha Rabich, Senior Advisor to FTD, who has been attempting to sound an alarm about a new means of unconventional and asymmetric warfare already being waged against us. She calls it cyber-enabled economic warfare. This is Foreign Policy. Either the U.S. enforces some rules in the world, or there are no Every U.S. Rules. president has tried to diminish tension with Russia, has reached out to the Russians. Most of those have failed, especially when Vladimir Putin became the leader. They're still killing guys who joined the jihad in 1979 or 1980 or 1981 who are still in the we game. We are seeing a ramp up in North Korean cyber capabilities over the last decade. Iran is basically putting forth these claims of nuclear innocence, that they are doing nothing wrong, that there are no violations, and that's just factually not correct. I am fearful for what happens to Turkey now. If you thought that it was dangerous that a coup might have toppled this democracy, think about what this very autocratic man might do. Terrorism, weapons of mass destruction. We live in an age with many perils. This also is what's sometimes called the cyber age. Early on, we were told that meant immense new opportunities for learning, connecting, creating. That was true, but in addition to the many benefits, it turns out there are new vulnerabilities and new threats, threats as serious as those posed by terrorism and weapons of mass destruction. Samantha Ravage, one you've identified and have been focusing on in your research here at FDD. You call it cyber-enabled economic warfare. Explain what that phrase means. Simply put, Cliff, it is the use of cyber means by an adversary to attack our economy in order to weaken us militarily or politically. Okay, and that phrase is now included in the most recent national security strategy. You got it in there. Why is that important? It is the first time that the words economic warfare, and certainly cyber-enabled economic warfare, were in a national security strategy, not a national economic policy. And that's what's critical about this, because it is, again, the use by the adversary against our economy the use by, of cyber means against our economy in order to weaken us militarily and politically. Um, our economy is the basis of our strength. And in the past, it really has been seen as more of an economic issue, not as much as in a national security context. This national security strategy kind of understands that our economy is the strength by which we can field a military and protect and defend the country. So if you're an enemy of the United States or an adversary of the United States and you want to diminish the United States, you want death to America, you want to destroy the United States, you might think, boy, we, I really need stealth bombers, I really need tank divisions, I really need aircraft carriers. Or you might think there's an easier way to do it. Yeah, let's, let's think about that. I mean, think about all the things that our civilization, our society rests upon, right? Our banking system, um, our transportation system, our roads, our highways, our health care, our innovation base, right? That's what, that's what really runs our society, runs our economy. 
And everything that our military can field stems from that. So now take a look, just think about, just think about the, the havoc that Hurricane Sandy caused, right? I mean, think about you know, the panic in, in Manhattan as the subways were flooding with water and people couldn't get money out of their ATMs and the lights were shut down and the roadways were broken. It was a man-made disaster. Now think about it if it was caused by an enemy through cyber means, right? The grid It wasn't goes a man-made disaster. It was a natural disaster. Well, I mean, a natural, right. sorry. Yeah. It was yeah. a natural natural disaster. I mean, now think about it if it were man-made and purposeful, mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So that the grid is taken down by a cyber attack or ATMs are taken offline or or all the stoplights and the bridges, you know, are, are, are taken offline, right? I mean, think about the panic that that can cause. And yes, stealth bombers bombing a city, you know, putting planes into tall buildings in New York certainly is devastating. Um, An attack upon the resiliency in our economy or um, on everything that rests on the networks would be equally or potentially even graver. The countries we're most worried about are? Uh, For different reasons, um, Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. And it is possible today, tomorrow, that one of those could do what you're talking about, could take down the grid and we'd have no electricity anywhere in the country, could get into the financial system and suddenly no ATMs are working, suddenly you have all this money and you can't access it. In fact, you're not even sure that the records exist anymore. Is that possible? (laughs) Not only is it possible, it's happened. So let's take each one of those examples. Um, If we look at what Russia has done in Ukraine over the last number of years, taking down their electricity grid, blackening out large parts of their major cities in Ukraine, specifically Again, remember, we're talking economic warfare to get a country to buckle militarily or politically, right? So Russia takes down part of the grid in order to get the government of Ukraine to bow to the pressure, right? So we've seen that happen. Um, We've seen China, uh, the OPM hack, right? I mean, again, now they're getting into our government. It's less of that one's less of an economic. But, OPM being oh, the Office, Office of, of Personnel Management, right. our, our, the way our government runs. Right. But clearly we've seen China go after our economic elements. I, I just want to emphasize this. The, when we talk about cyber-enabled economic warfare, the key word is warfare. Cyber is a modifier. Economic is a modifier. Cyber is the weapon being wielded, as I understand. The economy is the target. And the goal is to win a war, and wars are waged either to force an enemy to submit or to destroy an enemy completely. Would you agree with all that? That's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Let me let me just uh, throw out another example. Um, it looks as if uh, there's very good evidence that um, Iran has uh, unleashed over the over the last few years numerous cyber attacks against the Saudi Arabian oil um, infrastructure, right, Aramco and and other elements of the key infrastructure in Saudi Arabia, which is Iran's number one enemy, right, or at least top of the hit list. Um, and, uh, And to what end, right? Well, yeah, maybe it could have had reasons for economic uh, reasons that they're competing in the oil market, but that wasn't really what it was about. The oil infrastructure is what uh, uh, un- is the foundation of the Saudi society and the ability for the Saudi government to pay for everything in this country. Um, take it down, harm it, 
uh, spook it, scare it, um, and you're going to really wake up the, the Saudi regime to, to realize that uh, they are in peril from, from an enemy. Um, and Iran uh, knows that it is a, uh, a way to uh, uh, shake the confidence of Saudi Arabia and its people. Is it also possible that they, these cyber adversaries um, are experimenting and learning? They see what they can do to the Saudis and Aramco. How vulnerable are they? The Russians see what they can do to the Ukraine. The Koreans see what they can do to Sony Corporation. Or maybe the Iranians see what they can do to the Sands uh, Gambling Casino in Vegas. These are not made-up examples. As you know, these are all real examples of cyber hacks and attacks. Um, and you don't see, in the, certainly in the media, a, a lot of even speculation, just a little bit, about why they're doing it. Well, they didn't like that the Sands Hotel is owned by Sheldon Allison, and Sheldon Allison is anti-Iran, so they're, eh, they're showing him they can, they can punch him in the nose. It actually may be more complex than that. It, it certainly is, and to our peril, we continue to see these attacks as ad hoc. Um, and, uh, in fact, you, you brought up um, the Sony attack uh, by the North Koreans. Uh, no one in their right mind thinks that North Korea attacked Sony because they want to advantage the North Korean movie industry. Right? That, that, this, wasn't, this wasn't a trade play. Um, this was clearly that the North Koreans wanted to uh, shoot across the bow of a major international company, by the way, headquartered in the United States, in California, uh, to say, we don't like what you're doing. Um, we're going to attack the fundamentals of your economic wherewithal. You better change your attitude. You better change your position. You better change the way you are, um, you are operating. Uh, but uh, the North Koreans uh, have been doing this against all means and, and manner across the South Korean economy um, for a decade at least. Their the South Korean manufacturing sector is under attack. The South Korean banking sector is under attack. The South Korean shipping uh, sector is under attack. And to our peril, to the peril, to the peril of the United States, we are not focused sufficiently on what those broad-based cyber attacks on economic elements in South Korea are doing to the South Korean mindset and their will to push back on the North Koreans. This is going to come up more and more as we enter into potential negotiations with the North Koreans. It is quite possible, it is quite possible that the North Koreans may try to limit their um, uh, missile tests or potentially their nuclear tests, but they may, in, in, uh, as negotiations continue, ramp up their cyber attacks to get what they want. And when I say get what they want, meaning that imagine this scenario, the South Koreans uh, promise a large payday out to the North Koreans for some activity. Right? Like we've seen in the past, the North Koreans don't actually uh, uh, step up to their commitments. Right? And now the South Koreans or the international community says we're going to hold payment until the North Koreans live up to their commitments. The North Koreans, you can imagine, then start to hack into elements of the South Korean economy, which they have done before, basically saying, okay, look, South Korean government, you either pay us a billion dollars or we're going to shave $5 billion off your economy. 
right, by shutting down certain businesses, by creating havoc. And we can talk in a moment about specific examples in the recent past where this has happened. An important question is, it seems to me, is this. Is the United States in danger of having cyber-enabled economic warfare waged against us, or are we already in such a war? We are already in such a war. Um, it is uh, it waxes and wanes uh, depending on what else is going on in in the international context and the various actors. Um, but when you look at the amount of uh, money that is sucking, being sucked out of the U.S. economy by state actors using cyber means, again, we have to see this as part of a campaign plan. Right? It is not just the trade space. It is not just U.S.-Japan in the 1980s fighting over steel. Japan never intended to harm us strategically. Right? But now we're in, when we look at vis-a-vis -vis China, we are in a different type of trading war where we see what they're doing in the South and East China Sea. They do want By which you mean the militarization, the militarization of those places. They, you know, this is a very different type of action. There is no doubt that China does want to diminish our capabilities strategically. So the use, again, of cyber means to undermine our strongest asset in our country. Right? Let, me, let me be clear about this. It is true the business of America is business, right? The U.S. military is only as strong as it is because our base economy is as strong as it is. That is where the money provided to be able to forward deploy forces. That is where our innovation base is. That is where we create stealth materials and, and, and uh, different types of weaponry and different types of aircraft and ships. Right? It is the basis of our economy that provides our ability to project forces and defend our nation. Adversaries know this. Adversaries understand this. They understand that the United States, since World War II, has been able to be the preeminent power in the free world because it is our economy that is so strong. So it is, you know, it, they have realized and recognized that with cyber, they now have a tool they never had before to be able to undermine our economy in order to weaken us militarily. The Chinese have stolen huge amounts of information from us, from even from the Department of Defense. They've gotten in there, haven't they, and been able to, to steal Correct. it? Correct. Um, some might say, okay, that's just espionage. That's happened for years. Cyber enables espionage in a new way. It's no longer a spy with a little miniature camera. They can simply, from Beijing, get into a computer and download information. Um, how would you respond to saying that's not warfare, that's just espionage. Well, you know, and maybe if you said that it was one set of war plans, you know, at Lockheed Martin, or one set of, of schematics at Lockheed Martin, you can kind of make that, potentially make that case. But when you start to accumulate the type of data across what the Chinese are going after, again, into the transportation sector, you know, try mobilizing forces from our country if, you know, our transportation sector is at risk, right? Our top 
top most most important and sophisticated technologies coming out of Silicon Valley, right? That eventually flow back and forth between the military and the private sector, right? Those things are being hacked at an enormous rate, being able, you know, being leaked out, being uh, subverted, malicious code being inserted into the supply chain. Right. This is not just one-offs here and there, you know, to understand at the largest level. This is a wholesale plundering of our ability to field our innovation base. And from that, you have a weakened military structure. And in addition to that, I, I assume, once your adversaries get, let's call them cyber spies, into your computers or servers, they can look around for a long time, but they may also have the capability at a point of their own choosing to attack from inside. In other words, they get inside the grid and they learn what's going on because that cyber, it's their cyber enabled to do that. But you never know when they're going to essentially attack and shut down the grid and say the grid will stay shut down until you meet these three demands. That, that, that's absolutely right. Uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, um, the top cyber unit in, in the South Korean police did a kind of a wholesale investigation and review of North Korean activities in, in South Korea and their economic uh, sector and came to the conclusion that the, the North Koreans um, are, are uh, creating a basis with inside the systems of the economy in South Korea in order at a time of their choosing to create havoc and panic. Okay. But I, I, uh, I, I want to uh, take, take us back a few years and, and show again why this is such a critical kind of asymmetric threat to some other actors. We talked about Russia and China, and of course, they're what we call near-peer um, uh, mm. competitors. But when we talk about the likes of North Korea and Iran, right, and how would they use this, how are they use this? You know, back in <clears throat> when I was in office in the White House, um, uh, you were advising on national security to Vice President Cheney, and in the second term, uh, you know, in 06, uh, 2006, 2007, we started um, really to again think more about how we could use economic sanctions. We've been using them, of course, in the past, but to continue to to uh, curtail the nefarious activities of Iran and North Korea. North Korea for its nuclear and missile tests, Iran because of its terrorist activities and, and its nuclear weapons facilities. And um, uh, so we imposed ever more stringent financial and economic sanctions. Right? Again, we knew perfectly well curtail their economy, curtail their ability to uh, get money from abroad, curtail their ability to buy uh, parts and supplies that would feed their missile and nuclear weapons programs, um, uh, and you could change their calculus or prevent them from undertaking certain military and political activities. So we understood this. So, you know, we, mm -hmm. We've been a, a good practitioner in this, in this sector. Back then, in 2006, 2007, we never considered what the North Koreans or the Iranians could do in response to us against our economy. And it was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. North Korea has a GDP per capita of $1,300 per year. 
Right? What could they possibly do to the largest economy in the world? Back then, a decade ago, the answer was nothing against our economy. Sure, they could, they could take you know kinetic actions. They could take uh, military actions, uh, missiles, or, or or nukes or other things. But though they didn't have nearly what they have today, well, and what they could have true. tomorrow. <laughs> but the idea that they could yeah. you know so panic in our banking system, shut down ATMs, and and uh, so there'd be riots on the streets. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Okay, that's not ridiculous anymore. Right. So in, in you know in the last uh, uh, decade, the North Koreans and the Iranians have created an extremely capable cyber force. Right. So now, they do have ways, asymmetric ways, to retaliate against our economy, to constrain our political and military options by going after our economic wherewithal using cyber means. Right? This is a different type of world than than we, the United States, have been used to acting in. By the way, an example you've used in the past, and it's stuck in, in, my, in my memory, is imagine the U.S. is deploying troops somewhere in the world, and suddenly those troops are getting calls, because nowadays everybody's in contact, it's not just postcards, getting calls from their, say, their wives or husbands back home saying, I can't get any money out of the ATM machine, I can't get milk for the kids. What kind of soldier, what kind of fighter, what kind of warrior is that person going to be when he's worried about what's going on back home because the enemy has a t essentially attacked his wife and child while he is forward deployed. I, that stuck with me as an image. Absolutely, as I as I uh, like to say to our friends in the Defense Department and up on the correct committees and on the Hill, try running a war if your banking system is in crisis. So the next question that occurs is what is the U.S. doing about this currently? I know you're raising the alarm, certainly, um, I don't, I don't think the U.S. government has quite understood it the way you've been explaining it to us today, but they know something about this. We have something called Cyber Command. What are we doing right now uh, to address this threat? We are addressing, the U.S. government is addressing bits and pieces of, of this threat, and that's the, the problem. Um, it's bits and pieces. Um, it is really not unified in... Uh, understanding both the scope and then um, uh, taking the actions needed to to correct the vulnerabilities specifically specifically cyber command is an element of the Department of Defense is entrusted with protecting and defending what we call the dot mill right on the internet uh, everything that relates to dot mill everything that relates to mill the, the ability for the military to function and run itself um, the Department of Homeland Security has the authorities and the responsibility and mission to protect .gov. So everything <laughs> that has to do with the way the U.S. government in totality runs itself. There is not one element of the U.S. government who has the authorities and the mission to protect and defend .com. Right? The U.S. government, in my opinion, has forgotten that its strength derives solely from that which is given to it from the people. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. to, in today's world, the people, the American people and the economy of the American people that, uh, that, that we, that we uh, rest and rely upon 
can be summed up as dot-com. It is commerce. It is the fundamentals of the U.S. Constitution. What is that to protect the ability of the American people to make a living? <laughs> mm -hmm. And the U.S. government has forgotten that mission. So, so in answer to your mm -hmm. question, mm -hmm. uh, that piece is completely missing. And, and if I understand you correctly, it's complicating or exacerbating the situation. If you're a corporation and you're attacked, your, your data is stolen or you're disrupted by a state actor, uh, you don't necessarily want many people to know about this. It's not good. You may have to tell your customers that their personal information has been stolen, that sort of thing. But in term, you don't necessarily go to the government and say, help me do something about this because you don't necessarily trust that the government can or will. You're, you know, if you're Sony or the Sands or you're some credit card company, you kind of feel like you're on your own and probably are. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, the, the, it's very murky right now. So uh, corporations, large and small, um, uh, you know, there's a there's a great quip that um, I, there are company. There are only two types of companies: um, those who have been hacked and those who don't know they've been hacked, hmm. right? Um, or know they've been hacked and don't know they've been hacked. But basically, everybody has. Um, and then what to do about it? The the FBI is fantastic in its mission to investigate crimes. Um, so if if a company you know calls calls the great guys at the bureau, great people at the bureau. Um, they will start to investigate. Um, they will ask for a lot of information from the company. They will want to see records they, because they will want to follow the trail and figure out who hacked them. Now, what the company gets back from that is questionable. And in a lot of private companies' minds, they say, you know what? We are not getting back from the U.S. government one a heads up if we are being attacked all right. Two, how to defend against those attacks, and three, really how to mitigate once they've happened. Right? That that the companies, the private sector is not getting that from the U.S. government. I, I give the I give kind of a part of an analogy. Right. And, and that, that the U.S. government is, is not providing um, vaccines or the baseline science behind the next flu vaccine. Right. The, the, the Center for Disease Control spends a lot of time and effort understanding what next year's flu season will be like so that they can help manufacture the basic science for what the vaccine will be like. Now, the private sector then manufactures vaccines and, and distributes them, which might be a good model. But the U.S. government knows they have a responsibility to take care of the people of this country and mm -hmm. in cyber. Um, I would say they're falling down on the mission. Hmm. Let's talk about options and response. One is to defend, um, but partly you're saying this has not been done successfully or you wouldn't be able to say that companies either have been hacked or will be hacked or don't know they've been hacked. There are defensive mechanisms, but the defense is not adequate to the, to the threat. It's somehow or other, the Russians can have a, a team in Dagestan uh, working on hacking and our defenders are not good enough to stop them. So at the moment, or, and yes, um, at the moment, um, uh, there is no guiding cybersecurity strategy principles of how we are going to fight and win in this domain space. Right? So back um, in the nuclear era, 
timeline, uh, when the Truman administration um, mm -hmm. dropped uh, the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, at that point in time, actually, the Air Force thought nuclear weapons would just be another bomb that we dropped. Right? Mm -hmm. They drop regular bombs, they'll drop nuclear bombs. And there wasn't a lot of thought at the earliest days that, no, something had changed. This was a different world we were living in. Well, Truman first understood, and then Eisenhower really understood, we better get a strategy of how we are living in the nuclear world vis-a-vis -vis our top competitor, our top enemy, the Soviet Union. Right? So they spent a lot of time thinking about the strategy of what, how to fight, how to deter, how to live in a nuclear world vis-a-vis -vis the Soviet Union. And they created doctrine, and they created new techniques, and they created training, and they created targeting packages. None of that now exists on cyber. Right? Mm -hmm. We do not have a coherent government understanding of how we need to live and fight and prevail in this new type of domain. So what ha can we deter? Well, that's I was going to go from defense, right. which means they can't get into my right. system because we're that good, to deterrence, which means they think, mm, I'll pay a price if I get caught doing this. Let's, I just want to make, be clear for people. We're saying that defense is not what it should be. Correct. Overall strategy, I'm not going to ask you to develop it today. I think what partly what you're saying is it needs to be developed urgently. But okay, if you can't entirely defend, now you have to deter. You don't have to deter just with cyber means, I presume. You can deter all sorts of ways. You can say, in fact, uh, John McClain writes, in, McCain writes in his new book that America should consider a cyber attack separate in retaliation for Russia's meddling in the U.S. elections to send a strong message um, to, to, to Putin. In other words... You have a, we shouldn't think that just because you're being cyber attacked, you have to respond in a cyber way. You can say, you do this to us again, we're going to respond with sanctions or with kinetic military action. We're going to destroy some of your toys. Now, that's a frivolous way of saying it, and it's a big thing to do. A lot of people don't want to. But if there's no credible threat of kinetic action or economic warfare, uh, then you only have cyber means with which to retaliate, which is possible, but not so easy. Yeah, uh, and, and absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the adversary does not see these different capabilities in boxes with hard walls, right? I mean, they, they do see that you can use lots of different means, any means at your, at your disposal to, to achieve your goals. Um, <clears throat> but in terms of, of deterrence, um, can we deter the adversary? Now, again, it is not like in the Cold War where we had one main adversary. We have lots of adversaries in this battle space, and they have very different capabilities, and they have very different goals. And so one thing is before we can even really think about a, a full-on deterrence strategy, we need to understand how the, the leadership of these different countries thinks about using cyber-enabled economic warfare. Right? So there's a lot of great people up at Fort Meade, at, at Cyber Command, National Security Agency, and others that focus on what we call the man behind the computer. Right, the person that's launching the attacks, the ones and zeros, the you know the denial of service attacks, and all that great stuff. Right, that's not as interesting to me as a researcher as how would a Putin or a Xi Jinping think about going after our economic wherewithal as a strategy, as part of a campaign plan. So we're not really thinking about deterring the man behind the computer. 
we're more interested in the deterrence space of how do we deter the man behind the man behind the computer? How do we make it painful to a Putin or a Xi so that they won't go after our economic wherewithal in order to weaken us militarily or politically? Right? But deterrence has some problems with it in this space. Um, and it is not completely analogous to the nuclear era. Um, for one big reason, we're already in the middle. We clearly haven't deterred, right? This battle is on. It's not something that after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, how do we make sure no one else uses these weapons? People, everyone is using these weapons. So there's a, a great body of, of research that is evolving. Uh, Richard Harknett, uh, Professor Richard Harknett is, is kind of leading the charge on this, which is called persistence, right? Which is we're in this space but there are no borders. It's, it really is the Wild West, right? There's no law established. I'm not talking international laws. I'm talking there's no rules of the road, right? And, and when there are no borders, how do you create borders in a borderless world? Well, the age-old way is I'll fight you and push you back, you know, behind the big oak tree. You know, you come and try to push me behind the big river, and we go back and forth and back and forth until finally, you know, there's a kind of a line drawn, and we both recognize that this is it's somewhere between the oak tree and the big river is our border between my land and your land. Um, that's kind of where we are now, but not recognizing it. We are, the U.S. government and others, are pushing back on the adversary in cyberspace, and the, the adversary is coming after us, right? So less deterrence, more persistence. Um, these are some of the competing theories, but it is not settled by any means. What about cyber retaliation? Is there at least the potential? The Chinese, for example, steal huge amounts of information from, as they have, from the Department of Defense. Could there not be embedded in that information some sort of program that understands the information has been transferred, something where you could say, okay, we have the ability, now that you've done that, to destroy your computers and your servers. We have our own bugs and malware that we can, we know what you did and we know how to come after you and we're gonna cause you tremendous cyber damage and let you know we're doing this in retaliation for what you've done to us. Is that science fiction? Oh, no. And, and I would hope and expect that we either have those capabilities or are working on we those. We haven't used those capabilities well, as far as we know. Well, as far as we know, let's let's go with as okay. far as we know. Um, uh, I think the more interesting uh, question and, and where people get prickly on, on both sides is should private companies and private actors have the ability to retaliate? Um, you know, clearly in, in, in my where I live in Virginia, um, you come into my house um, if, uh, you know, I have every right to take out a weapon and make sure that I have the, the right to get you out of my house in any way I choose, right? Now, why um, isn't there a cyber stand your ground? Right? Why aren't mm -hmm. I allowed to go after um, bad guys that are in my network? It is, um, uh, it is a, let's put it this way, a very agitated debate whether mm. companies are allowed to uh, not just chase bad guys out of their network, but chase them back to where they came from. But this would also give a, co a private company a good reason to go to the government. If the company that has been disrupted or hacked or, or burglarized, uh, essentially, could go to the government and say, here's what's happened, the government said, we will, within three days, know who did this to you, and we will consider 
because we're law enforcement here. We're, we're, we, we, will, we will do something terrible to them so they understand a price must be paid. And maybe we can even recover your information. I, I mean, theoretically, uh, that's all possible. I, I agree, and I think that for, for those, and, I, and I, I do hold some sympathy for those that say, look, we can't have you know, every, every private individual and company hacking back. You know, where will this lead? And how, you know, it, they'll get in the way of, of, of official law enforcement and official government activities. Um, but the private sector absolutely needs to needs to be shown by the U.S. government that the U.S. government is doing something on their behalf and not just on the behalf of the U.S. government. So in your example, you know, yes, I mean, that's where we need to get to, which is if the private sector will cooperate with, you know, more fully with law enforcement and the government, the government will show and prove to that private actor that they are actually going back and if it can be gotten their information by that point, it's probably already in the dark net. But that mm. something will happen for the benefit of, you know, of the private company, or the private sector actor, not just that the government is building its database to protect itself. By the way, I think based on what you just said, it's important not just that the cyber command, those at the National Security Agency understand that, but that people in the private sector do too. I'm not sure they do. If I'm a student at the Harvard Business School or at Wharton, uh, am I learning about these kinds of threats? And not, not to my knowledge. I've not seen one uh, class that kind of uh, puts this in perspective for the for the for the business school people. That that this is they are entering into a world unlike any before them, where they are on the front lines of a nation state battle. Right. I mean, you know, they might go into a manufacturing company or, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. uh, they may go into an Amazon or they may go into wherever, J.P. Morgan. And all of a sudden they have to realize they are on the front lines of a nation state battle. Now, nevertheless, I think that the U.S. is probably the most advanced, not as advanced as it should be, in terms of cyber warfare and understanding it. Probably. Tell me. You can correct me if I'm wrong. The Israelis, pound for pound, probably do better than anybody else. They have a population less than less than New York City or Washington D.C., but they have very elite units, and they are very careful that people go in and go into government and then into the private sector, so they learn both sides of this and can meld them. That's part of, and they are defending themselves every day from cyber attacks. Every single day, we know that, um, so they know a lot. Um, are we? talking to them as much as we should? Are we doing what we should among the good guys out there to defend ourselves from the bad guys? Uh, we certainly are talking to the Israelis. We do a lot with the Israelis. We have a number of different um, uh, cyber agreements and, and cooperative elements with the Israelis. Um, the Israeli model is is not completely uh, replicable here in the United States. Uh, it's such a small country. Mm. It can it and it has a certain different compact with its own citizenry that where the citizenry will allow the Israeli government to basically do cybersecurity on them for them. All right. In a way that the, the U.S. compact between the private sector and the, the government isn't exactly we don't want the government to be that intrusive into our into our private sector. Um, but should we do more? Absolutely. The time really has come uh, for a new type of cyber call it an alliance, call it a uh, compact, a, a, a co-op, 
of free cyber NATO in uh, miniature of free market democracies, right? Those you know that that understand that um, the strength of our governments are on our because of our private citizenry, because of our liberties and our fundamental freedoms, because of our ability to own our capital, um, and uh, uh, that we will um, uh, share technology, that we will share risk understanding, and that if needed, we will go after the adversaries together to protect all of our networks. Right? And uh, when you lay it out like that, it becomes clear that China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea are not going to be at that table. And we need to understand that as presently constituted, they cannot be at that table. So bumper sticker summary, we are in a cyber war uh, right now. Cyber-enabled economic warfare is being waged against us. We don't have a strategy. We urgently need a strategy. And I think we urgently need as a national priority to develop aptitudes and capabilities, not just to compete with our enemies and adversaries, we need to lap them. We need to be so far ahead of them they can't touch us, they, 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 that they don't believe there is anything they can do. We're not there yet, and that's why they're coming after us and they're attacking us right now. I think that's where we are. That is that is where we are. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, there are, you know, let me, just, let me just leave with this. I mean, there are breakthroughs technologically that can and will be made. This is, this is at its heart half a technological problem, and I am fairly confident that we are going to find new ways to protect and defend our networks. Um, the other half of the equation is what we call the carbon-based problem, or the human element. Uh, that, is, that is where we really do um, uh, see our mission in, uh, in making sure that the people that need to do what they need to do are uh, properly seized um, with the importance of, of this and, uh, and that get going on it. Uh, we're in a war and we need to be happy warriors and we need to be willing and able to fight as long as it takes. And we'll want to come back and talk to you about this more in the months and years ahead. Samantha Ravitch, thanks so much for the work you do. And thank you for listening to Foreign Policy. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Foreign Policy. As always, find and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can also listen and explore options on our website, defenddemocracy.org. If you have feedback for us, praise, criticism, suggestions, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you'll join us again next time, but in the meantime, I'm Cliff May, and you've been listening to Foreign Policy.